This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. I want to tell you about a meme that I've seen. In fact, it's my favorite meme. And yes, those who know me, let that be a source of joy to you all week long that I know what a meme is, that I've seen one, and that I have a favorite one. Now, to be clear, I've seen this meme printed out and hanging up on Father Steve's uh, bulletin board behind his desk. So here, it's a a Christmas-themed meme. It's got red and green colors and holly around the borders. But in the center is John the Baptist, decked out in his camel hair clothing. He's got his hand raised. He's preaching in the wilderness. And the words below say, Merry Christmas, you brood of vipers. I love that. The part of the gospel reading that we will hear next week that just cut off uh, today He speaks to the crowds and says, Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, you brood of vipers? He skipped homiletics class in seminary. But if you're an Anglican, you know you've really come into the fold when all around you people are singing holly jolly Christmas and have yourself a merry Christmas, but Sunday after Sunday you're sitting in church and Advent 1, it's the end of the world. Advent 2 and 3, count them two weeks of John the Baptist saying, Prepare the way. And you're, you're just lapping it up. You love it. You're just saying, that's, that's what I want to hear at this time of year. That's Advent. All jest aside, when we think about the themes of God's judgment or we read those passages of scriptures where God is bringing his judgment, we oftentimes respond with a sort of a cringe response or we wince or we feel embarrassed about those parts of the Bible to people, friends, or the world out there that hasn't read the Bible. We kind of wish they wouldn't see those parts of the Bible or we even come to those with fear. And what I would love to do today is to just flip that completely on its head and to say, no, God's judgment is actually good news. It's an integral part of the good news. God's judgment is, in fact, good news if we do not resist it, if we respond to it. Let me put it this way. Let me give you this exhortation. In your life, do not resist the judgment of God because it is actually good news for you if you respond to it with humility. All right, so go ahead and open to Malachi. If you're in the Pew Bibles, that's page 802. And now why is the Malachi reading paired with the John the Baptist reading? What do these have to do with each other? Well, at the very end of Malachi, chapter 4, verse 5, these are the last words of the Old Testament, God's last words to the people of Israel. And he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So one of the last things that God tells his people is watch for Elijah. Now, if you know the story of the angel appearing to Zechariah, who was John's father, the angel specifically said, Your son who is coming He comes in the spirit of Elijah. So the angel is connecting John's ministry to what Malachi is prophesying, that there's going to come one to prepare the way for the Lord before he comes. Now, there was another prophet, Micah, who said, a time is coming where darkness will fall on the prophets of Israel. There will be silence. And indeed, there were 400 years of no prophetic word between Malachi and when John appeared in the wilderness. So we hear the list of all the rulers, you know, the Tiberius Caesar and Herod and all of them, and then the word of God came to John in the desert, and we just pass right over that. 
But that's actually a formula. You go back to the prophets, and it was always in the year of King Isaiah or King Hosea or whatever ruler there was, was the first part of the formula. And then the second part was the word of God came to Isaiah, son of Amos, or whatever it may be. So this is a formula. And for those who had been living in the drought, not of rain, but a drought of hearing God's words, to hear in the year of so-and-so, the word of God came to John would be like the sound of rain falling on the window panes after 400 years of no rain. Can you imagine it? It was a, an exciting time, a time of anticipation. And again, Malachi, having been the last prophet to speak until John, he's saying Elijah is coming, and his ministry will be to prepare the way for one even greater, for the Lord himself. So. John the Baptist had a ministry of preparing the way for the Lord. If you've ever painted a house, you know that, especially if it's wood siding, you have to first scrape. And have you ever had the experience of you're scraping away, and you started at the part that looked like it was falling away and, and obviously needed scraping, but then as you go, other paint starts peeling up, and you start to wonder, oh, no, like, where does this end? I'm going to end up scraping the whole house. It's going to be just bare wood that I'll have to prime and you're tempted to stop. But you know what happens if you stop. If you don't scrape up all the old loose paint, you'll put a fresh coat on, and then in a month or maybe a year at the most, your new paint job is ruined because that old paint underneath starts peeling off. So the work of judgment, John's work of preparing the way, it is actually good news because it's scraping things clean. It's getting us ready to receive and actually be able to hold on to Jesus' own ministry, the coming of the Messiah. All right, so the judgment of God is not something to be afraid of or to cringe from. It's actually good news for those who respond to it humbly. And there are actually so many reasons why this is true, more than we could talk about this morning. Truly, there are. But to, this morning, we're going to focus on these two, that God's judgment reveals that he is both just, that he is a God of justice, and it also reveals that he is merciful. In God's judgment, we see both his justice and his mercy. So God is just. It's the cry of every child protesting sibling injustice. It's not what? It's not fair. And the response of every weary parent who's lost the capacity for creative and insightful dialogue with their child, their response is, life's... Yeah, you've heard it before. <laughs> and it's totally unsatisfying to that child. And inwardly, that parent is also thinking, I can't believe I'm proffering that platitude that I promised I would never say. I, I, I'm doing it. I'm guilty of it. And why do we hate this? Because deep down, we want fairness. There's a part of us that, that says the world can't be called good if there's not fairness and equality. It's not something primal and, and essential to us as people, as human beings. And so we want to know, we need to see that God cares about fairness and equality and justice. And the words of the prophets and the teachings of the Scripture are very clear that He does. However, it's qualified. It's not always justice how we would define it. It's certainly not justice in our timing. So take a look now at Malachi. 
We're in chapter 3. Okay? But right before chapter 3, look at the last verse, the last sentence. It's a question. Uh, the people that Malachi is writing to, the whole book of Malachi is this kind of dialogue back and forth. They're asking a question. Malachi, speaking for God, gives the answer. Their question is, where is the God of justice? There it is. Where is the fairness? Your God of justice, I don't see it. Where is the God of justice? So chapter 3, here's God's answer. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way. This is referring again to John the Baptist, the spirit of Elijah. He will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But, he says, be careful what you ask for. Who can endure the day of his coming? We'll say more about this later, but they're saying, Why, where's, the, where's the justice against all those wicked people out there? And, and God is saying, who can stand? Will you stand in the day of his judgment when John comes and proclaims his message when Jesus comes and likewise begins his ministry with a message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, will anybody stand and not have to repent? The answer is no. We'll say more about that later. But God is saying, I will come. I am coming and I bring my judgment with me. I will purify, I will be a refiner and a purifier of silver. I'll purify the sons of Levi. They will offer then offerings in righteousness and in truth. Verse 5, then I will draw near to you for judgment and be a swift witness against. And then he lists sorcerers, adulterers, those who lie, those who are oppressing. I'm coming, and I bring my judgment with me. Judgment of God is good news because it is the answer to every sin, every injustice. That part of us that says there's brokenness in the world and what is God going to do about it? Or if you've ever said to yourself or even to God, Lord, there's evil injustice in the world and you're not doing anything, God's response is, if they seem like they're getting away with it, know this, no one's getting away with anything. That's his response. No one gets away with anything. Psalm 98, which is uh, the, uh, it's the inspiration for the lyrics to our hymn that we'll sing in a few weeks of joy to the world. Joy to the world. Our Savior has come, but how does it end? Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and all who dwell it. Let the rivers clap their hands in the hills for joy. Why? For the Lord comes. He comes to what? Judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. So the psalmist is saying, and Malachi is saying, God is coming. He brings his judgment with him, and it is good news because it means that no one is getting away with anything. Or Isaiah 2. I love Isaiah 2. God says, there is a day set apart against all that is lofty and proud and raised up in the sight of man, and I will lay the lofty city low, and the Lord alone will be exalted on that day. I'm keeping track, he says. Nothing will go unnoticed. So the goodness of the judgment of God, it's like a two-edged sword. It cuts this way. It's good news for the world. God's going to world the rid, sorry, he's going to rid the world of wickedness. That's good news. Cuts back the other way. It's bad news for the wicked, isn't it? Take a look at Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. 
Behold, that day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. That day is coming. It shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, and it will leave them neither root nor branch. That means it will be final and complete. That day that is referred to, it sometimes is something that we experience now in this life. God does show up, and He works righteousness for the oppressed, or He shows where there was injustice, and He exposes it. He turns the tables. Sometimes we experience that in this life. But the teaching of the Scriptures and the teaching of the church has been, but even those things that are not addressed in this life, nothing is going unnoticed because there is coming a day. Again, what did Isaiah say? The, the Lord has set apart a day when all that is lofty and lifted up and exalted in the sight of man will be laid low. The final day of judgment, when Christ returns, He will bring that answer that we long for, and it will be satisfactory. It will be complete in our eyes. We will say, it is fair. It is just. God is righteous and just. So it's good news for the world. It's bad news for the wicked. And this is a consistent theme throughout Scripture. It's one of the laws of the kingdom, that though the Lord is on high, He dwells near to the lowly, but the, the proud He knows from afar. Or like it says in Psalm 34, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and He hears their cry, but His face is set against the wicked to remove them from the earth. So God's judgment is good news after all. It's the final answer to evil and our cry about where is the God of, in, in, of uh, where is the God of justice? Where is He? The answer is He is just. He is coming and He brings His truth and His justice with Him. But there's another way in which the justice of God and the judgment of God cuts both ways, and you know what it is, don't you? On the one hand, it cuts this way. And we are relieved to know that every sin done against us, every sin done against you, will be accounted for. Every sin, every wound that you've sustained, every injury that you've endured will be addressed, it will be rectified, even and especially the ones that have seemed to have gone, seemed to have gone unnoticed up to this point. And when you look out in the world where oppressors seem to be going unchecked, the check will come. There will be an answer. And that's good news, but it cuts back the other way because it also means that everything you've done against God's holiness, everything that you've done against the dignity of another human being, whether in action and outward deed or even just in the thoughts and the judgments of your own heart, everything, every selfish fiber in your being will be exposed under the judgment of God. It will be revealed. And the same selfishness that animates the oppressor out there or the wicked over here will understand it's in here too. And now, now we understand a little bit better verses 1 through 4 in Malachi. Because again, going back to chapter 2, 17, God says, you've wearied the Lord with your words. And you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, where is the God of justice? So God is actually wearied by this accusation that he is unjust. 
He's getting tired of that. And he says, I am coming, and I bring my just judgment with me. But here's the part that we need to hold on to. He says, yes, I am coming, but first, instead of judging the wicked out there over there, I'm going to begin with you. He speaks to the Levites, the priests, the leaders of Israel. He says, I'm bringing my judgment to you first. So verses 1 through 4. Well, let's jump to verse 3. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Well, that was not what they were expecting. The sons of Levi, the priests, the other ones on the, si on the other side of this dialogue with God, they're saying, when are you going to come with your justice? And he says, I am coming, but I'm going to begin with you. This was a surprise to them. The context for the book of Malachi, it happens after the exile. Okay, so the first temple was destroyed. All of God's people were sent into exile into Babylon. This was because of the sin of idolatry. And if you read the earlier prophets, you'll see a refrain over and over, or you'll see that the, the, most, um, the most prevalent sin that they're being condemned for is the sin of idolatry. But when they come back from exile, they've learned that lesson. They're not sacrificing to false gods anymore. So when we look at the book of Malachi or other post-exile prophets, we notice something's different about these prophets than the earlier prophets. Gone is all of the indictments about idolatry. There's one tiny little reference to it in Malachi. But that doesn't mean they've arrived. They're thinking, great, we're, we're faithful now. We, we're set. And God is saying, I have news for you. Time to go to the deeper level. Your sacrifices, they may not be offered to false gods now. Great, glad for that. But your sacrifices are still polluted and unholy. They're not acceptable in my sight. And you want to know why? And if we look through the book of Malachi, he says, it's because you don't offer me the best like my law says you should. You offer me the second best or even the worst. Or you give me animals that were taken by violence. That's not according to my law. He says to the priests, the sons of Levi, you fail to instruct the people in all the holiness of my law. You're lax. You're also unfaithful to your wives. And it's true, there were rabbis who had written. One said, you can divorce your wife if she spoils your dinner. Another one said, if you find a prettier one, move on. You can divorce your wife, marry the prettier one. And the priests were doing this. And God is saying, I hate that. That is not righteous. That is not just. I hate that. I hate divorce, God says in Malachi. They also don't bring in the tithe. They don't trust God with their money. He says, you're shortchanging me. And they said, how are we shortchanging? You're not bringing in the full tithe. And then on top of it all, he says, you grumble and you complain that I, the Lord, have abandoned you, that I allow wickedness and injustice to run rampant, that I'm slow to respond, and that I am faithless. On top of all that you're doing, you're accusing me. And God says, I have some news for you. You may be saying, where is the God of justice and he's saying, I'm right here, and I'm going to talk to you first. And isn't that a word that we need to hear today? It's good to cry out for justice. It's good when we see it in the world out there, there's injustice, we, we cry for justice. As long as we know that God's going to come and he's going to start right here. As long as we know that. 
So be careful what we wish for, he says to the sons of Levi, because I'm going to purify you first. And that's very much like what John the Baptist did, and Jesus too, for that matter, to the Pharisees and the leaders in their day, who also, you compare them to the ancient Israelites, they were not idolatrous. They served the one true God. They were zealous for the law and the traditions of the people. They would be the last people that you would think would be on the receiving end of blunt words of prophetic indictment. And yet, that's exactly who both John and Jesus went after. He said, I'm going to purify the sons of Levi first. I'm going to purify the leaders first. Judgment begins with the household of God, says Peter in 1 Peter 4. Okay, so you're thinking, wait, hold on, wait. We started out saying that this was good news, and now I'm starting to have those uncomfortable, judgy feelings that we're all afraid of. Where's the good news? It's coming. Here it is. Because first it is good news that God is just. That is good news. He doesn't let any wickedness go unchecked, unnoticed. He will bring account to everything. That's good news. But here's the second thing we want to talk about this morning, that God is also merciful. And I can feel it in your hearts as I'm ramping up and reading these scriptures. I can feel your heart saying, okay, not too much longer. Where's the mercy? When that sword starts to cut the other way, where's the mercy? Because if God was only just, this would be bad news. It's good news that God is just, but if he were only just and nothing else, that would be bad news for you and for me. But the good news is that when God brings his just judgment, it comes with mercy for those who respond to his judgment with humility. So God's judgment is good news for those who respond to it with humility. So do not resist God's judgment. It's actually good news for you if you're open to it. God is merciful to those who humbly accept his judgment, to those who acknowledge their sins first before they go looking to point out the sins of others. We don't want a God who is only just. And again, not because justice is bad, but because mercy is even better. There's this interesting scripture in, in Hebrews that talks about the blood of Christ speaking a better word than the blood of Abel. Well, what did, what did the writer of Hebrews mean by that? Well, Abel was killed by his brother because his brother Cain was, was jealous of Abel. It was a very unrighteous and wicked thing, the first murder in history. And Abel's blood, Genesis tells us, cried out to God from the ground, and God hears it, and he comes to Cain, and he says, what have you done? Your blood, the blood of your brother cries out to me. But the writer of Hebrews says, Abel's blood cried the word for justice and recompense and vengeance. The blood of Christ cries out for mercy. And in the cross, we have the perfect union of justice and mercy. On the cross, Jesus paid for every sin, every one that you've committed, Everyone that's been done against you, he paid for it. The first Adam sinned, and we along with him, and so invited death to reign in the world. Jesus, who is called the second Adam, he paid for every sin and destroyed death forever. So because Jesus was human, we can look at the cross and say, it is just in this way. 
humans got us into this mess. It's just and fair that a human would get us out of it. It's part of the reason why God became human, so that he could take responsibility for what humanity was responsible for in a way that was just and fair and right. So the, the cross is just. Humans did this. A human paid for it. But because Jesus is God, the cross also demonstrates the infinite mercy of God. God wasn't responsible for our sin and the mess of the world. He was not responsible, but in Jesus, he took responsibility on himself. And even Jesus, as a human being, committed no sin himself and yet took all the sins of the whole world upon himself. The condemnation we deserved, he took on himself. He is the judge who is judged in our place. Praise God. So just remember, that cross was meant for you, but your Savior carried it instead. That grave was meant to be your home forever, but he went into that grave to bring you out of it. And all that you need to do in order to receive the gift of God's forgiveness and that hope and promise of everlasting life is to respond with humility to his judgment and to say, yes, I don't argue. I have to agree. True and just are your judgments and yours alone, O oh God. And when we come in this posture of humility, God's judgment is, in fact, good news for us. Because it means that if we're humble, repentant, not minimizing, not making excuses, not downplaying or shifting the blame to someone else, but facing square on, fully owning, I did this. I'm not going to make excuses about all the reasons why I was feeling a particular way that day or all the excuses from my past, all the things I didn't receive. I'm going to say, but when it comes down to it, on that day, I made that choice. I did that. And I ask for forgiveness and mercy. And if we are humble and repentant like that, asking for mercy, then the final piece of the really good news about God's judgment is that we have nothing to fear. If God's judgment, even that phrase, makes you afraid, let me declare to you now, in the Lord, in the name of Jesus, you do not have to be afraid of God's judgment. Not now, and not on that day set apart against all things lofty and raised up. Not on the day of judgment, the final day. You will have nothing to fear if you respond now in repentance, in humility. And we see that in Malachi. Flip over to verse 16. Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. They responded. After indictment, after indictment, after indictment of the book of Malachi, there were some who said, let us fear God and respond with humility. There were obviously those who didn't because it says those who feared the Lord. There were others who didn't. Just like with John's ministry in the wilderness, yeah, he called them all brood of vipers. Mostly he was referring to the Pharisees who Luke tells us later, they were not baptized by him. They came out to listen, but when it came to the moment of decision, they backed off. They did not receive his baptism because they rejected God's purposes for them, Luke tells us. But there were others who said, what can we do? What shall we do? How shall we live? How can I respond in obedience to this truth and this judgment, but also the mercy of God? How can I respond? So what is God asking of us this morning to be like that? 
to be open and responsive and unafraid of the judgment of God. And along with simply not being afraid, I think God would actually invite us to be eagerly welcoming his judgment or a friendlier word that works just as well is called conviction, to welcome his conviction to our hearts. Why? Because God's judgment is always a prelude to something better. God's judgment is always preparing the way for glory. Every mountain be laid low, every valley raised up, the crooked shall be made straight. Why? So that the glory of the Lord will be revealed. What God is doing when he brings his judgment to us is he's saying, there's something even better that you can't even imagine now, but I want you to be a part of it. I don't want you to miss out on it. There's a glory that I cannot even describe to you. Will you believe and trust that it's there on the other side? And those who can bow down and humbly say, yes, take me on that journey, we will see a glory not yet revealed. Amen? So judgment prepares the way for glory. And even uh, Malachi uses that image of the refiner's fire. Well, do you know how the, the metal worker knows when the, when the metal is purified in the fire, when it's done? It's when he can see his face reflected in it. When the metal has heated up to the point that all the dross has been removed and the metal becomes clear and he can see his face reflected in it, that's when he knows it's pure. And when God brings the fire, his refining fire to us, why is it? Because he loves you and he wants you to be like him. He's making you in his own image. He wants to see his own face, his own heart, his own justice, his own righteousness reflected in you. And he won't stop until he does. And that's good news. I don't know about you. If this were the final version of me, I would not want to live forever. I wouldn't want to live forever still stuck in this incomplete way that I am now. I want God to finish his work. So how can you be open to God's judgment this week? What does it look like for you? Maybe for you, some of you, you'll, you'll make a confession to a brother or a sister or maybe a pastor, and not a generic, flat confession. I'm talking about the kinds of things that you don't really want to say, but you know this is the purifying fire. You speak them out. Maybe for others, it's simply to, to make an Advent practice of inviting the conviction of God, inviting his judgment. Psalm 139 says, search me, O God. It's an invitation. Know my heart. Test my thoughts. If there is any offensive way in me, show it to me. So maybe that's your practice, to invite his conviction. Or maybe it's when you're reading the Bible, before you just move on to the next thing, you just ask God that simple question. Hey, are you wanting to change anything? Based on what I've read, are you wanting to change anything in me? Let me know. Or certainly, it could be the case that God's refining fire for you this week is he wants you to take a look at how you're judging others. Because what ought to happen is as we come under the mercy of God, and it is judgment, but then to his mercy, we receive his grace. What ought to happen is our hearts are softened to those around us. We become gracious, patient, forgiving. We're not ready to point that finger or search for that speck in their eye because we're searching for the log in our own. And Jesus said, to the measure you use, it will be measured against you. So be gracious. The older I get, the more I just want to be thankful for my parents. When I was younger, I had more maybe 
critiques that I would offer to them, the older I get, I just, I just want to thank God for what they did give to me. Because I have children now. And I want them to be thankful for me and not come back at me with, you didn't do this for me, and you didn't do this for me, and you didn't do this for me. So maybe God's invitation to you this week is take a look at that running reel in your mind, your thoughts throughout the days, whether you're thinking about people in front of you or the people that you're encountering online, how are you thinking about them? Is it with grace or is it with judgment? And perhaps his invitation to you, hey, come under my judgment first. Be purified and learn my mercy. Whatever the Lord's invitation to you, may God give all of us grace together to respond humbly to his judgments, knowing and trusting that he is both just and merciful. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.